This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are here in Business Radio. We are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA program for executives here in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist, former corporate recruiter, and author of the new book, Switchers. How smart professionals change careers and seize success. If it's Thursday, noon Eastern, we are taking our calls right this second, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If it's Thursday, noon Eastern, it is always open calls here on Career Talk. Dream team in studio, Michelle and Dion, all hour long making this show fun, 844-942-7866. So, hey, it's Halloween. It is the only legitimate day of the year that you can go someone, period. Hey, Current news. Here's a scary fact. A study of over 8,300 employees, managers, and HR leaders across 10 countries found that 64% of people trust a robot more than their manager and half turn to a robot instead of their manager for advice. Yikes. Yikes. Would you trust a robot for advice more so than your manager? If you would, give us a call and tell us why, 844-942-7866. So here's a kind of would-you-rather to think about as we kick off our Halloween special. If you were buying a $60 shirt and the salesperson told you that another store a five-minute drive away had the same exact shirt in your size for $20 less, would you go buy it at the other store? Heck yeah. $60 shirt, $20 off, yeah, five-minute drive. But... What about if you're buying a $1,200 patio set and the clerk told you it was $20 cheaper at a competitor five-minute drive away? Would you leave and head to the other store? Michelle is saying no. Dion's saying who the heck buys patio furniture anyway? I'm questioning the salespeople that are sending away what works in the store. <laughs> Clearly, they're, they're, they're not getting commission. <laughs> they're not. They're not on commission. But hey, heck no. Most people would say no. But why? Because it's $20 and five minutes either way. Why would we not do that on $60? Why we would do it on a $60 purchase, but not a $1,200 purchase. Well, this is because our brain is a tricky trickster and somehow it convinces us that $20 as compared to $1,200 is not worth it. But hey, on today's show, we're going to teach you how to rein in this madness so that you don't make these mistakes. And even better, we're going to apply it to your career search so that you can use this knowledge to gain a competitive advantage. And we're excited to welcome Jeff Chrysler, a Princeton-educated lawyer turned award-winning comedian, author, speaker, columnist, and advocate for behavioral science, the editor-in-chief of PeopleScience.com, a site dedicated to sharing and creating behavioral insights for the modern marketplace and regularly appearing on major media outlets like CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. We're so excited to have him on today's Halloween show. Welcome, Jeff. 
Beep boop. I am so pleased to be here. <laughs> you can trust me. I this- am Robot Jeff. Perfect. Perfect. We were hoping to get Robot Jeff. See, this is why we love having comedians on the show, because you make it even that much more fun. Michelle's Michelle's in hysterics over there. Okay, so Robot Jeff, why mm-hmm. why would we travel to get $20 off a $60 shirt but not the patio set? Why? Because we're human. Oh, <laughs> yeah. There's that. There's a big umbrella picture, and because we are driven in our decision making whether it's financial or employment or motivation incentives and all sorts of any decision making uh, we're driven by sort of unconscious biases right the field of behavioral science behavioral economics decision making science all these terms i'm sure you and your listeners have heard is really about the the unconscious forces that lead us to make decisions often irrational ones yes Uh, you know that particular bias or trick or feature or principle, again, a bunch of terms tossed around, is, is basically about the power of relativity, you know, not on Einstein's relativity, but just how you compare things, right? You, you, we fall for um, this percentages, which doesn't really matter, right? Like you said, I, forget, I can't do the math quickly enough, but the $1,200 patio furniture, which you could go get cheaper somewhere else, uh, that is just a tiny percent of savings, that $20, whereas on the other one, the um, I think it was like a 60 to 20, you know, that's a third off when really we should think about the absolute money leaving our wallets, but we don't do that. Uh, we just think we, we fall for that easy emotional satisfaction of, oh, it's 33% off versus, oh, it's barely 1% off. Dang um, those emotions, and- Jeff. Dang. That's why people trust a robot more than their managers because of those emotions. Those emotions really screw us up. And we're going to talk about that today because I think once people start to understand how emotions play into decisions, how relativity, how loss aversion and all these other fancy terms for uh, we rationalize irrational decisions, we're going to be able to actually not only spend money better, which is all about your book, Dollars and Cents with Dan Ariely, but we're going to be able to value ourselves better in the job search. So one of the reasons mm-hmm. that I'm so excited to have you on our Halloween show, Jeff, is because you, you've you compared a lot of this behavioral science to Halloween. And I was like, ah, Jeff, Jeff is my guy. But I was reading today in Fortune magazine that, fun fact, 15% of households give out full-size candy bars. So what does behavioral science say about those who are giving out full-size candy bars, Jeff? Compared to those that are giving out the little tiny ones, which Fun size. are, yeah, they are, it, by the way, that is the worst, most inappropriate, isn't a big candy bar more fun than a little candy bar? Yeah, they should they be funner size, fun funnest size. They mean. <laughs> exactly. Why are we not doing uh, this? <laughs> why, what does it say to have people give out the, the large? Yeah. So what does it say? A lot of, it does, maybe they don't expect a lot of visitors. Uh, maybe they want to make sure that their own children are less obese than their neighbor's children. Uh, maybe they just have the means to, to give it out. Or maybe it's a matter of sort of um, competition. You know, oftentimes these unconscious biases that I talked about, they're, they're hidden. Uh, but and we want to compete on things and something like, oh, I can afford to give out big candy bars can be sort of a status thing and then you, again you fall to this relativity compared to my neighbors yes i'm the cooler house that has the big candy bars whereas the little the little candy bars next door are, have less status um or they could be lazy 
Uh, maybe they were planning on having a, a cookout with a bunch of s'mores, and they never got around to using all the candy. Um, there's a lot of reasons, but uh, you know, oftentimes I think it has to do with status, um, which again is sort of one of the social negative byproducts of, of relativity, um, which is one of the more common biases that bounces up. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That is um, exactly what the article said. You are what you give. We conform oh. to social pressures. This wasn't a test, Jeff, because you could have written this article, True. but it's the halo effect. We we associate ourselves with being generous or being successful because we're giving out full-size candy bars. But the int- the most interesting part of this article was the very last line, which said, here's the lesson to take away. If you give out full-size candy bars this year, you better be prepared to do it for the rest of the time you're living in that house because that expectation is going to be there. Hey, 844-942-7866. We are talking to behavioral scientist Jeff Chrysler, and we're talking all about how our brain can trick us into making irrational decisions, which impact not only our pocketbooks, but also our decisions around job search and career. So so let's talk about it. I pulled a number of kind of would you rather's from your book Dollars and Dollars and Cents, mm-hmm. which is a phenomenal read and I think everybody should take a few minutes to pick up that book because you'll realize just how much money you're losing to emotional decisions and other things that are just completely irrational. So Let's talk about this idea of loss aversion. I talk about this in my book as well, and I feel like this is the driver of many of our decisions, not just about money, but about a lot of things in life. So what is what is loss aversion, Jeff? At a basic level, loss aversion is this principle that uh, the power of loss is stronger than the power of gain. And what I mean by that is, you know, the classic example is if you lose $10, that pain of loss is only made up for by winning or gaining $20. In other words, that $10 is twice as more powerful um, of, a, of a negative emotion. And how this plays out is we end up making decisions based upon judging the potential loss or much more than the potential gain. Um, or it, it, We're very averse to loss. Um, and, you know, a, a great way that I often frame it that, that people really at home is um, when you ask people about retirement and you say, when you retire, if you take, they survey people and I'll fudge the numbers to make the point, but like, it's basically if, if you retire at retirement, if you, uh, can you live on 80% of your current income, right? You ask that question and like 75% of people say, yeah, sure. I could do that. Then you ask people at retirement, could you live on 20% less income than you have now? And 75% of people say no. So, the, the question, much like your $20 question earlier, is the same question. Could you live on 80% of your income? But at one point, it's framed as 20% less. The other time, it's framed as 80% of what you have. And just that framing and making it 20% less, or you're losing, highlighting what people are losing, makes them a lot more averse to that. Um, and this can play out in so many ways in people's careers, right? The more they think about uh, you know, a decision, what they're, what they're not getting, what they're losing out on, the more that that decision and that choice is going to be valued um, in, in a negative way, whereas if it's framed in a positive way, those are the things that highlight. Um, and this is something I feel like one of the cool things in behavioral science, we all sort of innately maybe feel this or sense this, but the science has shown it to be a real truth. Um, and to me, that gives it the extra power of saying, okay, let's 
Let's think about how we're framing our decisions and our choices. Yeah, and I think I think language is so important. When I coach my executive MBAs, if they're in a job search, our program requires them to be in session for two years every other Friday, Saturday. And so when they're going to tell their new employer about this, I say, never say you're going to have to take off every other Friday. I say, always say two days a month which is the same exact thing, but two days mm-hmm. a month sounds so much better than every other Friday. And it's it's exactly the same thing. And I think this is where it comes into the job search is that people who don't prepare for the interview may not realize how a subtle change like that can make all the difference in terms of getting hired, getting a higher salary. And so this is why we really harp on preparation, because these these little subtle things, our, our mind just sees them totally differently. Hey, you're just Absolutely. tuning in. You are listening to Career Talk, Series XM, Channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. Hey, if you got a question, you can give us a call right now. We're live if it's Thursday, noon Eastern, 844-WHARTON-844. You can also tweet at Dr. Don Graham. We are here with Jeff Chrysler, who is the co-author of Dollars and Cents. And we're talking all about behavioral science and how our brain can see things very differently based on the language we use, the environment we're in, the, the emotions that are coming up. There's so many things. And the great thing is when you know this, you can make some subtle changes that will not only end up with more money in your pocket, but can make you super competitive in the job search. So we're talking about loss aversion, Jeff. And one of the places I see this is when somebody's making a career switch. So I love working with switchers. And I think people get really excited about whatever job change they see on the horizon. They, they see, wow, this is going to be so much more interesting than my current job. And I see all these positives. Yet when they go to make that career switch, all of a sudden they start to see some of the losses that come. So if you're making a switch, sometimes you have to take a step back in salary, maybe only temporarily, but like you were saying, that can that can really sway us. Or sometimes you have to take a step back in being the decision maker or in autonomy or maybe a longer commute. And as these losses tend to come up in a career switcher's mind, they start to say, well, maybe this isn't worth it. However, like you said, the idea of loss aversion is that we weight negatives much more than the positive. So even if somebody's going to be working in a career they love and be able to come home and see their family every night at dinner and there's all these positives, they're weighting these negatives heavier. How can we be objective when loss aversion is such a powerful influence over our decisions, Jeff? Um, there are a few good strategies. I mean, the, the first is just being aware of it and then trying to you know, balance it rationally and, and think about it, you know, uh, like a computer and a robot, but that's also not the most realistic way because, again, we don't do that. Even when we know the biases that we're falling for, we still fall for them. Um, so uh, one good trick in that situation to think of is to, is to sort of put a um, an imaginary start and stop date, right? Look at yourself and say, do I like myself now on you know October 31st, 2019? Compare that to, say, you know April 1st, 2020. So you're not looking at what you're losing. You're, you're comparing the two people. Um, you know, would you make the decision just to if, – if you weren't in this job now, for instance, if, you, if it, there wasn't the loss of your current situation, if you just had to choose between the two different states, right, today in this job and April in that other job, which is better, right? So you compare the two. You, you forget about the transition. 
Um, and that is ultimately what you're going to live with, right? That, that loss is really something you feel during the transition period. And if you're making a career change, you know, three hard months is worth it for five, 10, 15 great years. Um, and, and again, we have this sort of very present focused um, and, and present weighted emotional connection to what's happening now and tomorrow versus what's happening in three months and five years. So, you know, this is something that also plays into sunk costs, which is related to loss aversion, right? If we, if we've, you know, poured something into a project financially or otherwise, the question isn't like, hey, we've already spent so much, let's keep spending. The, the framing should be, okay, if we had to make that decision right now to spend more versus to stop, what will we do? Yeah, I, career. you're totally right. I think a lot of people do that with sunk costs. They say, well, I'm already in this job 20 years. I don't want to take a step back. I don't want to lose salary. But you forget that you might still be working for another 20 years. And you know, would you rather be happy with that 20 years? So if you can kind of cut off that, that previous 20 years and make a decision in the moment, you're going to be able to be much more rational and kind of over Overcome that that trickster brain. And the other thing with loss aversion that you were talking about too, about future money that I love. Hiring managers experience loss aversion as well. They are worried when they are hiring. If they bring in the wrong candidate, then they're obviously going to lose money. They're going to lose time in training. There may be reputational losses because everybody knows you made a bad hire. So this is why hiring managers will go with a safe candidate over a potentially more qualified candidate who who is not a traditional candidate, maybe somebody who's a little bit more of a switcher. And to become a safe candidate, one of the things you can do is get a referral. That's going to be huge. So I think when you know that about hiring managers, that they're kind of making these decisions based on what is going to mean the least losses, you can understand why even if you, know, you, you do everything right, they might go with the internal candidate or they're going to go with the referral because they perceive that as safer. And I also think that future aspect comes into negotiating, Jeff. Like, if you can't get the salary that you want, do you think a hiring manager would be willing to pay you a bonus in the future because it's not as painful in the moment versus paying you that when they hire you, if that's your only option? Well, we certainly value money in the future less than we do money now, right, when it comes to financial decisions and and really anything. I mean, we it's one of the issues with self-control and dieting and exercise and then whatever the issues are when you think about your future self um, and your future money and anything in, in the future, it's, it's discounted because we're not emotionally connected, right? Um, you know, we'd rather have $100 right now than $110 in a week, even though it's more money and in our lives it would be better. We, just, we discount that $110 in the future. We're so, so crazy. We are just human. Ah, um, that, how do we get over we that? Wear. How can we become non-human or superhuman? <laughs> once a year, we all dress up and ask strangers for candy. That's the best way to improve your robotic. Well, system. I'm dressed up right now. Are you, Jeff? Uh, yeah, I always dress up. Every day I dress up like myself. <laughs> um, I, I am. We are, uh, we're dressed up as helicopter parents. I have a little tiny toy helicopter and a diaper. Um, and uh, I'm a helicopter parent. I'm so glad this is radio and I can't see that. Um, all right. <laughs> I'm not in the diaper. The helicopter's in the diaper. Oh. Let's be totally clear. <laughs> I don't even know where your, we're going with this. Exactly. To your point about, like, um, you know, whether it's – all this makes you think about showing your value to the recruiter, right? The recruiter is also human on the other side. We may be talking now to people looking for jobs and looking for career changes, 
as sort of job seekers. But the person on the other side of the table has these same biases too, um, or has their own biases. So the the more that you can understand where that person is coming from, the more you can address their own unconscious emotional drivers. Whether that's saying I'm a safe choice, or whether that's highlighting that you know these two days a week, a month that I'm going for my executive MBA, showing what the value is. Don't highlight that I'm missing work, but instead highlight I'm bringing something to the company. Like the more you can show your value, um, the better. Uh, and this idea of okay, you know, I'll take that this salary now with the the future bonus down the road. That also shows a value to them. It, it eases a, some of their burden, as you just mentioned, and it shows them that you're um, committed long term. So. All of what we're circling around is getting to satisfying those sort of unconscious emotional needs of the person on the other side of the table. Yeah. One of the things I love, I talk about a lot is uh, with my students as well, is reversible decisions. I'm like, if you want your manager to do something and they're very resistant, go with the, I call it the Nordstrom model because we all know Nordstrom gives uh, you know, an unlimited return policy. And they're smart in doing that because what they know is we're going to say yes when we know we can change our mind later. And they know most people won't change their mind later. So when you're asking, say, for I want to work from home on Fridays or I'd like to lead this project that, you know, maybe is at the next level. I think if you use what I call reversible decisions, say, hey, can we experiment? Can I work from home? Uh, Friday every week and in three months if we have experienced no changes, the clients are happy, everything's going well, we keep it going. If it's not working out, no questions asked, we we go back to the way it was. Managers are going to be much more likely to say yes to something that's an experiment that they can change their minds about versus something that is permanent. So I think all of these things, these these kind of behavioral things that are are very human, we can use to our advantage once we understand them. Hey, you're listening to Career Talk Series XM Channel 132. We're here with Jeff Chrysler. It is Halloween. And we want to hear from you at 844-942-7866 here on Career Talk. Okay, so let's do another Would You Rather. Okay, you locked yourself out of your home. A locksmith comes along and is able to open your door in five minutes then charges you $200 for the service. Would this bug you? Five minutes, two hundred dollars. Would it bug you, Michelle? Would that bug you? I don't know. Okay, I don't that, think so. Do you? Would it bother you? Uh, no. And it, uh, uh, no, because I read the book and I know why it shouldn't bother me. Got it. So, so I'm not a good person. To ask. Jeff, why does this bother people? Uh, because complicated. They don't know how to value what a locksmith does. And so what we do instead is we look at the effort that person has made. Right? People are more likely to pay a locksmith that takes an hour and breaks some locks and swears and sweats than one who opens the door in five minutes. They'll pay that one that took an hour or more um, when they're really paying for incompetence. Something like a locksmith is a skill that's learned, and we should value the quick opening a lot more than the long one. But like we just don't know how to do that. Like there's not in our mind that's sort of an automatic market, if you will, for the value how much you pay to open a door. Um, so we fall for that easy emotional trigger, right? Of oh, it looks like a lot of effort. Um, and a lot of people, when they see it happening easily, they don't think about the skill and the training and the lifetime of apprenticeship and all that. It's they so true. About, oh, 
It's so true. Yeah. You're paying for the 20 years it took to learn how to do that skill in five minutes. You're, right. And that's exact. And people don't think about that. They think about the five minutes in the moment. And and I think this is why when you think about lawyers and doctors and, and you know, coaches and stuff, and, you know, why do you charge so much? Because, you know, you're with me for a half hour and it's like you're not paying for the half hour. You're paying for the 20 years of certifications and training and internships and all the working for free to try and get my license. Um, um, that's what you're paying for. And right. yes, I'm talking about myself here. <laughs> um, I totally PSA. Agree. You, deserve to, you deserve to be paid much more. For thank you. Time. Thank you. I was hoping you would say that, Jeff, because you're an expert and you know people buy into that stuff from experts. But it's true. And here's where, how it relates to the job search. You know, if you go in and you just send, you know, talk about a list of skills or talk about you know, just some general things, places you've worked, people aren't going to see your value. You need to be able to walk in and show accomplishments to the hiring manager, to your network, to say, here's what I've done. Here are the obstacles that came up. Here are the actions that I took. And here's how my training allowed me to make a positive impact or increase profits or decrease loss or whatever those results are. You have to say that language. And I'm sure if that locksmith came up and said, you know, hi, I'm locksmith Bob and you know I've been doing this for 20 years and here's some of the things I've learned and explain that the person would be able to see it but I think we often just assume that other people realize this so I think in a job search especially it's important to give that background because if you do they're going to see your value in a different way hey 844-942-7866 you're listening to career talk on sirius xm channel 132 i'm your host dr don graham we have jeff chrysler it's our halloween show and i think we should go to our pre-break quiz quiz there's a quiz Here's a quiz, and yes, it's related to Halloween. A study assessing creepiness determined that the creepiest professions included clowns, taxidermists, and funeral directors. Probably not surprising. But this was determined to be the least creepy profession based on the study. What do you think was determined to be the least creepy profession in this study? If you think you know, give us a call at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 132, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Brand. Welcome back to Career Talk, your career insider. 
We are on Business Radio Series XM 132. And did that voice sound familiar at all? Because that re-entry song was called Here I Am. And you might be interested to know it's the first signal, single single from our own Michelle Stucker. Michelle, uh, fantastic job. I love how it took you a few seconds to realize that was your song. Well, I think I was in disbelief that it was happening. I had no <laughs> idea that was happening. But yes. that is so sweet. Thank you so much. That's our first live single. We're excited about it. Yes, it's a fantastic song, as you just heard. It's Thank from you. Michelle's new band, Monument Shine, which you can check out on Facebook. And she obviously is the phenomenal lead singer of this band and that Thank was you i am i'm curious if anybody knew that was you coming in because you're phenomenal they hear michelle. my voice it is michelle's <laughs> voice so there's probably a few things about michelle that you don't know she's originally from louisville kentucky <laughs> oh this is gonna be fun oh, right, no, it's, it's not, i'm right. very nervous it's not don't be nervous um, she had a career as a singer in L.A. before moving to Philly to become a producer on SiriusXM, which she is clearly um, doing again through her new band, Monument Shine. And this you might know because I say it on air a lot. She has way too many pairs of white pants. I was waiting for that. <laughs> True story. I knew it was coming. I was waiting <laughs> she for does. it. does. True story. No one needs that many pairs of white pants. I just don't get it. Well, thanks to you. I've edited half of them out. I know. I just, that's a lot of white pants. You cleaned up my closet. And, you know, while that is, while that is a little bit of sad news, there's sadder news. And the sadder news is that today is Michelle's last day with Career Talk as part of the Dream Team. But it is for a great reason. She's been promoted and will now be producing a new show called Wharton Business Daily every weekday from 10 a.m. to noon Eastern with host Phenom Dan Loney. So, of course, we will miss her, but we certainly encourage promotion here on Career Talk. And before we disband the Dream Team officially... I'll still be here. Yes, Dion will still be here. <laughs> Dion will still be here answering your pre-break quiz questions every week. But we wanted to share some fun Michelle memories. So, so Dion... Oh give, my God, what is happening? Well, we, can, we can't just this. send you off. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. No. <laughs> so wow. Yeah, this is something that, that we did as a team last November. I'm really not sure why this song has not gone viral yet, but Don Don forced us to do that, by the way. I did, but I will say it was one of I mean, we have fun every week on Career Talk and that was one of the most fun. I was actually pretty shocked at how quickly we were able to get through that and sing all twelve steps. If you want We laughed sing, a lot. Yeah, and if you want to hear all twelve steps, don't <laughs> worry. Because I will be posting it on Twitter and we'll be playing it a lot more over the next two months when oh Halloween's done. <laughs> <laughs> but Michelle, we will miss you. You, of course, can come join us on Career Talk any Thursday. Thank you for a great four years. Um, 
Thank you, Dawn. It's been amazing working on this show. We, I was with you from the start, and you were yes. a superstar from the beginning, just a natural on the air, and we've, we've loved having you on the channel, and I'm so sad to be leaving your show, but I know it's going to go on to do great things. We are very sad. Dion, any, any parting words? I mean, I'll still be working with her in the morning, so. It's true. You know. He's going to yeah. be on that show with <laughs> her. So it's just me, then. I'll be all over just the place. You. It's just me. I'll yeah. miss you. All right. Well, we will miss you. And, of course, anytime you want to come back and vis- visit us here, noon Eastern, Thursday, we would love, love, love to have you. And, of Thank course, you. Career Talk must go on. We have some fabulous guests coming up in November, including fan favorite, Carrie Spaulding, the 30-something coach, a special on becoming an independent consultant, and a salute to our brave veterans with an episode dedicated to military to civilian transition so we're very excited about all those upcoming shows but if it's thursday noon eastern and it's also halloween right now 844-942-7866 we are here with jeff chrysler who is a behavioral science expert and editor-in-chief of peoplescience.com which is a website that has phenomenal information like we're talking about today i highly think you should subscribe i've subscribed from the beginning it's great jeff hey where can people reach you if they want more information about you peoplescience.com your book dollars and cents and all that fun stuff uh people science has a ton of social channels as well as like a contact form on there or you can also find me my own stuff is uh my name jeff chrysler k-r-e-i-s-l-e-r there's uh, website and Twitter and all that sorts of things. So just Google Jeff Chrysler and you don't get far too much information, none of which has made my parents proud enough of me. <laughs> That's a great, great plug, Jeff. Hey, we're going back to the Would You Rathers. Okay, so let's see. All right, I'm going to pick this one. When do we find out about the creepy profession? Because I'm guessing oh, a radio oh, yeah. host. No, no, we, we, oh, oh. That's called, by the way, that's a scientific principle called kissing bottom. Are you saying I'm not creepy or I am creepy? Because You're the least creepy. Oh, that's that's, that's not my, flattering at all. It, I'm pretty creepy. Once no. you call something uncreepy, I think it kind of makes it creepy, though. Like, I, I wanted to say, like, kindergarten teacher, but as soon as I said that, it's We all said Yeah, that exact reaction. That was exactly what Dion and Michelle said at the break. Okay, we'll go to this. We'll go to this because, you know, I, I don't want to leave people hanging. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know your rules. I'm being creepy to assume. You're, you're, you're totally fine. We go with the flow here, Jeff, on Career Talks. All right. A study assessing the creepiness determined that the creepiest professions, including clowns, taxidermists, and funeral directors, but then... This was determined to be the least creepy. Um, it, it's such such a weird thing, Dion. Um, uh, since we're since we've all said kindergarten teacher and it's all and it's wrong, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say bank teller. Mm. Ooh, nice and boring. Fireman. Exactly. Fireman. That I was going for like the the, the boring job. So is those boring ones though? Nope. Mm. It's actually not a boring job, honestly. Well, that would have been helpful helpful before. Yeah, it probably I would have said bank teller. Yeah. All right. Well, what would you say now, now that you know? Gardener. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's the first wow. thing that came to Exciting. my mind. Exciting. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Michelle, please help us. Oh, uh, I always get thrown help off me. by your hints. Um, because I was going to say house cleaner. No, it's actually a very like you have to have like, degrees and. Like some science background and stuff. Doctor. Scientist. Well, no, that can be creepy for sure. Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> He's not creepy at all. Jeff, Jeff, do you think you know? I was going to say something like firefighter, but you don't need an advanced degree for that. Um, 
That's a tough call. Okay, marine if, biologist. No, but wow. here, here's my last good hint. call though. In my opinion, you can be wrong every day in this profession, and no one cares. Weatherman. Uh, uh, Career that's talk. That's what I was gonna say. A, a, a weatherman. Weatherman. Yeah. Uh, meteorologist. Uh, I don't know. Okay, but I feel like they could be creepy. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. So discover what people interpret as creepy. Research asked over 1,300 participants, and interestingly, almost all. 95% said that men were more creepy than women. True. Um, it is true. And that here were other creepy characteristics. The person stands too close to you. Um, they have greasy or unkempt hair. Has a very peculiar smile. Bulging eyes. Long fingers. Very pale skin. Bags under their eyes. Dressed oddly. Licked their lips frequently. And laughed unpredictably at times. What is happening right now? <laughs> Are you doing that, that right now? Is a casting call for a movie or something? <laughs> hey, you know, I don't know. I read too much. Hey. Clearly. So, there you go. If you're doing any of those things, you can be less creepy today. So, let's go back to the would you rather because here's another good one. All right, you're driving. It's 8 a.m. and you're going to an important client meeting and have a raging headache. You stop at a gas station and have the choice between... Happy Times acetaminophen at a dollar ninety nine or Tylenol at three fifty nine. What do you choose, Dion? Um, I'm gonna take the Tylenol. Why? Because I trust it. Oh, trust. Yeah. Trust. Is that the right answer, Jeff? No. Well, literally made in the same factory. I go with the Happy Times every time. Yeah, no. Most people would go with the Tylenol. They'd pay. They'd pay a few bucks more for the Tylenol. Why is that, Jeff? Well, it's because we have uh, expectations that go with the brand name of Tylenol. Even yeah, though trust, like Tylenol Dion is said. Acetaminophen, and acetaminophen is what they both offer. Um, it's created expectations, and, and part of that is, is trust. Uh, and we believe it's a good product, whether that's a, a, a result of advertising or of our own experience. Um, expectations impact how we value things. Uh, and if we have high expectations of something, we're willing to pay more for it. You know, when you get a bottle of wine at a restaurant, a fine French restaurant, and the the sommelier spends three minutes describing, you know, the history of every grape in it, that builds your expectations, and you're going to pay more for it than if you just saw it on the shelf at a gas station. And it's so um, critical to the job search. We talk about brand, 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 brand. And right. here's the thing. You're going to get more job offers. You're going to get paid more if you promote your brand as somebody who can solve the pain points of your audience. It's so important. And just this small small fact about acetaminophen that you're willing to pay more, I think is such a great example of why you need to promote yourself in your careers because you're going to get more opportunities and paid more. And and that's that's how it goes. And I love your example of language because I think that's a really important part of brand. So Dion, would you pay more for a cheeseburger, okay, or an artisanal goat fromage, grass-fed bovine with heirloom tomato salsa and curated greens. What would I you wish pay more we were for? on TV so you could see my face right now. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't know what a fromage is, so I'm going with the cheeseburger. Yeah, well, I just read it's a, it's a cheeseburger. I just read it with this lovely flowery language that restaurants use to get us to pay more because if you think you know, fromage is cheese. So oh. artisanal, like, you know, that means, I don't know, it was graded by somebody who's got a... <laughs> some guy some with a guy. grading system. <laughs> with, a, with a certificate in art, artisanal 
goat cheese making. But it's funny. And Jeff, what I love about your book is Brooklyn bar menus. So basically you can go onto this website and they will come up with all of this fake food that we would totally pay a lot of money for just to give you a few seasonal farfalle with locally sourced fig bombs, hand-pulled shell bean with orichetti tacos, pan-seared acorn with homespun bison jam, and rustic salt panini with distressed plum. Now, those are all made up, but those are all things we'd probably say, yes, I will pay $15 for that on the menu, right? Michelle's nodding. Yeah. Well, I mean, the tacos. And mm. then you get it, and you're like, this is a cheeseburger. Why yeah. you just say cheeseburger? <laughs> yeah, why? Because, because, Jeff, why? Well, because it signifies effort. I mean, the the... the Ubiquitousness, if that's the real word, of or the word artisanal, drives me crazy. I saw an ad once for artisanal moonshine. All right, artisanal means it's handmade, but it indicates that there's been extra effort made to, to create this. Going, It relates back to that locksmith example. Right? In the absence of knowing what we should pay for something or how we should value it, the description of it and the description of all the effort and care that's gone in and how hard we've worked and woe is me, I had to handcraft these American cheese slices and put it on top of this frozen patty. All of that makes us value and think that there's a lot more worth in the, the item that we're choosing, whether it's buying a, a cheeseburger um, or whether it's hiring a person, right? I frame it often in the negative, like don't fall for these traps in marketing of products and services, but at the same time for your audience, like take advantage to do what you call operational transparency, like to describe all of the intricate workings of what you do and what you can do to show that value and how, as you said, you can sort of help ease their pain points. Yeah, and and a lot of this is obviously not using language like goat fromage, but what it is using is language that appeals to the audience you're speaking to. So if you're speaking to a hiring manager and let's just say you come from an academic background, instead of using words like lesson plans, use words like agenda or instead of using, if you're coming from the military, words like like platoon and bombs and, and you know, use words like like or missions, project management and, and words that they can relate to. And a lot of times we, we don't do this or we throw too many acronyms from our current industry or company in and we're not really tracking that the person we're speaking with isn't aligning with us and it distances them from us. They think, well, you're different. And if you're different, you're not the right person for the job. So I think it's it's super critical especially if you're a switcher in any kind of way, to make sure your resume, your LinkedIn, your interview answers, the people you're networking with, you understand what your audience's pain points are and you tailor your language to appeal to them. And and I think that that will make all the difference. 844-942-7866. It is Halloween. It is career talk. Oh, and a quick PSA. Please do not dress up your pets for Halloween. They hate it. And... um. It's not worth it. So my building had a pet Halloween party and you were the first thing I thought of. Well, I didn't go, but mine did too. I love animals. I love Halloween. They do not mix. Please do not torture your pets. That's my question. You wouldn't dress Lily up? No. Well, not only would I not dress her up, not if I wanted to like not be bleeding all over the place. You don't dress a cat up. But please don't dress your dogs up either. It's just not, it's not right. Um, okay, here is another example. Would you rather? Okay, would you rather 
let's just say your 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 all taxes are the same. So don't don't call me up and be like, well, but th- this is taxed differently. Like I get that. This is just an example. Calm down. Would you rather have a twelve thousand dollar bonus at the end of the year or equal payments in your paycheck of a thousand dollars every month? Dion, what would you rather? I would take it monthly. Because? Because I can budget that better. So you're a good budgeter. Nah, I try to be. All right, Michelle. I'm responsible. You're responsible. Well, the tax... No, I'm just kidding. We're not, <laughs> we're not talking about the taxes. Excuse me. Ah! I think, uh, yeah, I think I want the I want the thousand a month. I do. Because, partly because I feel like the bonus is not a guarantee all the time. No, no, it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. Like, stop, stop picking apart my example. It's a guarantee. You're going to get it either way. for the logic. You're going to get it either way. Okay. Um, so let me ask you this. If you got $12,000 at the end in your bonus, would you spend it differently? What would you spend it on? Oh, you know what? I'd actually probably save it more if I got it all in one lump sum at the end, as opposed to trinkling in. Yeah, I would probably spend it. Yeah. Jeff, what does behavioral science say about this? It says don't ask financial questions to people that work in financial radio. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> what, what you're highlighting is something we call mental accounting, how the source of some money uh, and the framing of that money impacts how we value it. And so how do we categorize it and then how we spend it? Right? Like if you get $12,000 at the end of the year and it's a bonus exclamation point, Right, we treat it very differently than that thousand dollars a month that just sort of ends up folding into our regular cadence of spending and saving and, and responsible finances. If you want to be most responsible with your money, you have that thousand dollars a month because then it just becomes part of your steady cadence. If you want to treat it like a nice surprise and spend it more um, more loosely, then it would just be that one bonus. Now you know, Michelle would spend it more loosely on her future self by putting it into savings, but still would probably take a chunk, take more of that $12,000 and do something with it. She'd um, buy more that, white pants is what she'd do. Which is an investment. <laughs> it is an investment in everything that happens before Labor Day. I do feel like also when I get, like, because uh, Dion and I were in here talking about taxes, like, I, I have more taken out of my paycheck, which I think is the dumber thing to do, but I have more taken out of my paycheck because I like getting that little bonus at the end of the year yep. um, through the, the return. Tax return. Yeah, even though I'm giving the government a t- uh, tax, like an interest-free loan. But I like having that little bonus at the end, so I got used to it, so I do it for myself so that I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is great that you, I mean, look, you, you recognize that, which is sort of the, the most important part. Like, we don't my goal when I talk financial decision-making with people isn't to make people the most budget-conscious, tightest spenders, most misery people in the world. It's to at least have them acknowledge that. Like, you may find a value in getting that check. Like, you acknowledge it makes you feel good, and the chance to feel good and while we're alive is often fleeting, so go for it if that's what you're doing. I like um, it. But what often happens is we don't we don't really acknowledge why we're making such choices, and we make bad choices without any of the benefits that might be there. Yep. Yep, it's all about bad choices here on Career Talk. That's what we're talking about today and how to avoid them. 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. Hey, if you haven't been to my website, it's new and improved. DrDonOnCareers.com. Go there, check out my TEDx, check out my LinkedIn learning, check out whatever you like. There's lots of pictures of the Dream Team on there as well, so you're going to want to see those. Is it? Yeah. Oh. Clearly, Dion hasn't been there. (laughs) All right. (laughs) 
Okay. Confirmation bias. This is a good one. This is a good one. Confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is essentially when you you make an opinion about something, then your brain starts to take in things that support your decision and kind of ignore things that don't support your decision. So, for example, if you make a great first impression, then the hiring manager is going to see all those things that support that conclusion. Now, if you make a bad first impression, the hiring manager is going to see those as well. So in this case, this is where I think a referral can be your best friend because if your first impression to a hiring manager is one where somebody who they trust says, hey, you really got to meet Michelle. She's great. She's going to be a perfect fit for this. You got to talk to her. Now that confirmation bias is in your favor and that job is yours to lose. So Jeff, why do we do this? Why, why do we not just treat all data equally? Um, again, I'll go back to the start because we're human, and I don't want to disparage. Sick of that you know, answer. I'm sick well, of that it's answer. True. Well, all right. Well, it's <laughs> fun. In this case, it's because not to not to uh, disparage all hiring managers, but like we don't want to make the hard thoughts. We we want the easy answers to things. We want stuff um, that isn't going to require us to really crank our mind on and figure it out. So if we have that first impression, right? If we have that. Um, referral, that thing that anchors us, right? Anchoring is, is huge, like the fur that manufacturer suggested retail price in, in financial decisions or the referral that says it's good. Like, we're going to stay close to that. We're going we're gonna to avoid the hard work of breaking somewhere else. And that's what ends up happening, um, whether the confirmation bias is about who should I hire or should I buy a certain car or my political opinions. To, to um, essentially tell yourself that you were wrong is something that's really, really hard for us to do. And in order to break confirmation bias, we have to do that. We have to say, oh, this judgment that I made that, you know, Joe is a good person to hire, that was the wrong judgment. And none of us want to do that in our lives. None of us want to ever say I was wrong um, to ourselves or to other people. And so we're going to fight really hard to stay close to that, that first thing that we consider to be um, the right choice. And uh, this some- this plays into likability as well, which can help in your everyday career. There's a lot of research out there that says if you are likable in the workplace, more information flows to you. You get away with a lot more. And if you think about it, you know, think about your own workplace and there's somebody who's really likable and they're they're late to staff meeting every week. And you're like, oh, that's OK, because because, you know, that's that's Bob. And we you know, we all like Bob. But then there's that person who, you know, just is a real crab and you're just like, and they're late to staff meeting once and you're like, see, see, I knew that guy was a jerk. And we do it all the time and we're not aware of it. So this is why when you're looking to get promoted or you're looking for visibility in your organization, it's important. It's important to show up to some of those after um, you know, work events, those birthday celebrations, those other things, because likability can help you in your career it will it's part of your brand which determines how much you get paid what projects you get on what people want to associate with you or go to bat for you and as we know many of those decisions about your career are made when you're not in the room so think about how likability and this idea of confirmation bias that people notice things that support what they already believe about you is helping or hurting your career and it's not too late to change it is not too late to change and I want to talk about this anchoring thing Jeff because so anchoring which the easiest way that you provide the example in your book is MSRP on a car 
car. Here's the MSRP, and this is kind of the starting place. This has a big effect on negotiating the offer. So, um, you know, whoever gives the number first loses. Is that is that the general uh, is that the general thinking? I don't think it always works that way, by the way. But go ahead, tell us. Well, uh, the first number out there always sort of serves as the anchor. Now, whether that person loses or wins, right? If you present an anchor that's really high, you could win, right? You might not get that number, but if it's it's high enough that that they're not going to come down um, too far, that that can be a successful maneuver. But of course, if you throw out a number that's completely um, out of range, you you might go too far. Uh, but you know, anchoring is basically the concept that that first number that's out there, the first number that you associate consciously or unconsciously with a um, financial choice that has like a really strong magnetic field, if you will, or a really strong pull, or re- it's an anchor. Uh, and so we're we're more reluctant and less able to move away from that number, whether it's an MSRP on a car or a, a salary amount um, or the price of a home, whatever it may be. Um, that first number, whether it's rationally arrived at or not, um, has has a pretty strong uh, pull for everyone. Yeah, um, and and I think it, it works both ways. Like you you talk about you talk about food a lot in your book, by the way. Every time I picked up the book to keep reading more, I was like, oh that's man, my emotional crutch. Yeah, I was like ice cream and lobster. But you said, you know, would you buy th- if you went to the store or the restaurant? There was three ninety nine lobster dinner. You'd say, whoa, what's wrong with that lobster? And so I think the same thing works when negotiating. You come and if your price is too low, all of a sudden they're going to have this reaction to it. If your price is too high, they're going to have a reaction, which is why you need to do your market research. And thank goodness, most states in the U.S. are moving away from being able to ask that salary question, which I think is so important because this will help hopefully reestablish that level playing ground. But Jeff, it's been so fantastic to have you on Career Talk today. The time always goes by so fast. And especially on our Halloween show, you should know this is our, our most celebrated show of the year. So thank you for coming on and talking about your book, Dollars and sense. And one last time, where can people learn more about you? The best place is at peoplescience.com or you can always check my website jeffchrysler.com. And can I take 11 seconds to just say for the recruiters and hiring managers listening, we talked a lot about the biases that job seekers should be aware of. Ideally, those won't be part of the hiring process. Ideally, anchoring and first impressions and handshakes won't matter. But for those seeking job changes and career advancement, be aware that for the moment, they still do. They still do. The hiring process is anything but logical, fair, and unbiased, unfortunately. So on Career Talk, we arm you with what you need to know to have a competitive strategy. Thank you so much, Jeff. Michelle and Dion, final dream team signing out for the last time. Michelle, we will miss you. Please go check out her band, Monument Shine. Here I am. It's a great song. And of course, to all of our listeners, we are here for you live every Thursday and have some great shows coming up next month so tune in sirius xm 132 every thursday and we'll see you next time happy halloween for more insight from business radio please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.